Hey folks, this is Josh Schlossberg with the Green Root Podcast. For this episode, I'd like to welcome Chris Matera. Chris Matera is with Massachusetts Forest Watch and he lives in Massachusetts, which makes sense. And I met Chris, oh, many, many a year ago around biomass issues. Those who listen to the Green Root Podcast know how much I love biomass. Yeah, right. So Chris was one of the folks who was really doing some great work on it on the East Coast when I was still in Oregon. And so I was paying attention to that. Then when I moved back to Vermont, I made sure to get in touch with him. And we were one of the few people about a dozen years ago who were talking about this issue in New England. And we certainly got plenty of shit for that. So uh, welcome to the Green Root Podcast, Chris. Hi, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're here. As I was saying before, I've been meaning to have you on for a while, so I'm really glad that you are here. So let's just start with what, what's the state of the forest in Massachusetts, Vermont, Maine, whatever, that new northeast. area. The northeast. Yeah, we can talk about the northeast because that's, that's, that's a common issue these days. Um, why, don't we, why don't we start off with some good news? <laughs> sure. It's it's not I'm not usually the bearer of good news, so um, I'll take this chance to share one. Um, so when you're talking about the biomass issue in Massachusetts at the time, there was three giant plants in Massachusetts. This was 2009, and they had these three really giant plants that would like quadruple logging in Massachusetts. Um, and produce 1% more energy. <laughs> you know, you could, you could save more energy by turning off your nightlight in the morning in the bathroom than you would from these giant wood-eating power plants. So a couple of them got killed maybe five years ago, but the last stumbling refused to die biomonster was the Springfield plant. Um, and that's been going on now for literally 12 years. And um, it, it dies and then it comes back and the zombie lives. And it, it basically came back again a couple of years ago because Governor Baker, a Republican, Massachusetts Republican governor, um, decided he was gonna try and force feed the public to give $175 million in subsidies to this biomass plant. Uh, in 10 years. So $17 million a year to burn trees, pollute the air in Springfield, which happens to be the asthma capital of the of the country, literally. Um, and of course, dumping 50% more carbon into the atmosphere than a coal plant does per energy produced. Um, and of course, chopping down forests. So we were going to get to pay for all those goodies. And Surprisingly, um, there was a lot of flack. They got a lot of um, people really were still speaking up about it and trying to stop it. And believe it or not, two days ago, the DEP, the Department of Easy Permits, withdrew the permit that they had given to, to Palmer, Palmer Energy, who this Vic Gatto was the owner. And they had given the permit, I think in 2009 or 2010, and they did not fulfill the construction requirements in the right timeline. So citing that and all the other new science and blah, 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 they actually withdrew a biomass permit. And it was, you know, everybody's, um, I guess our jaws are on the ground that they actually did something in favor of public health and, and the environment instead of corporate profits. So um, now they can still appeal. <laughs> They've got like 10 days to appeal, but it is quite a blow that the state is now against them. And um, there's also a bill in the state house to repeal all biomass subsidies um, in Massachusetts. So, um, Again, nothing is in stone in either of those cases, but a little, a little momentum in the right direction there. Um, I think even, even the politicians are waking up to the fact that 
burning trees is about as dumb as a stump for for helping the carbon situation. And um, so fingers are crossed, but at least a little good notes. So we'll start there and then go, you know, go go into the normal <laughs> drama. But well, that's, um, that's great news. I had not heard that. And yeah, that's that's phenomenal. Yeah, it only took 12 years to officially kill it. Wow. So yeah. that's uh still not officially dead, 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 but it's right. it's dead, dead, but not dead, 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 but almost dead. Cool. I mean, the fact that it hadn't been moving forward over 12 years, I think was a good indication that it wasn't going anywhere. But yeah, you can't rest easy until the final nail is in the coffin. They kept waiting to see if they'd get the subsidies. It's all about the subsidies. So with without that, it doesn't work. And uh, you know. Again, if if they do appeal the DEP, they, st they we still have this bill in the state house to re repeal the subsidies. So if they don't have that, they st that's another reason they wouldn't go forward. So um, it's amazing. I mean, pretty much the entire city of Springfield was against this. Every single counselor, mm -hmm. um, state senate, the federal senators came out against it. The a lot of state agencies. Pretty much everybody except Governor Baker and the developer were against it. And um, Baker tried his best to get it, push it through. I don't know what's in it for him. But um, in the end, let's hope for once sanity, <laughs> sanity makes a, an appearance. The universe throws us a bone and uh, we, we can feel good for, you know, a little while. <laughs> yeah. So, and, yeah. and uh, yeah, just to just on that note, um, there's you know also two bills are submitted in in the in the uh, legislature that would ban logging, commercial logging on DCR state forests and parks and watersheds. That's the Department of Conservation and Recreation. So that's about two thirds of the state lands would ban logging. Um, and then on the additional third of land, which is fish and wildlife lands, again, state-owned land, public land, uh, another bill would ban about a third of that land from any logging. So hmm. it's, a, it's about 16% of the state forests would be off limits to logging. Um, the DFW one, I'm, I'm not as excited to buy because I think they're they're as bad as anybody with their clear cutting and everything, but um, 30% is better than nothing. And if we get uh, both of them, that would be 16% of Massachusetts forest off limits to logging, which isn't huge, but it's better than right now, 1%. is <laughs> right. all there is. Yeah. Well, so do you think that the years of advocacy that you've been a part of and others, that it's starting to finally percolate to the general public? I think what's happening is it, the big picture is across the Northeast, a lot of these forests, particularly on public lands, are becoming valuable, economically valuable again. Right. And and this, you know, because they were all cut, you know, up, up until 100 years ago, they were all cut. And 80 to 100 years ago, maybe 70% of the landscape was cleared. And then people realized they don't have to farm in these rocky soils and they moved to the Midwest and, and further West. So not, not really benefit of any good policy, but just dumb luck, the forest had a chance to come back and they did. And they've been growing back for, let's just say 80 years or so. And all of a sudden they're like, wow, these, these are worth something now. This, these hardwoods are worth some money. And so, you know, the same maps that we look at and we say, wow, cool, look at all those forests there. I'm sure the, the timber and the biomass interests are looking at the same maps and going, wow, look at all that timber and forest there. So um, there's been, they've been working on this really hard, um, getting, using the same language in every state and the same programs, uh, you know, the same propaganda. Oh, we got to log the forest to save it and all this nonsense. And, um, basically trying to get logging ramped up again in the Northeast. Mm -hmm. And so when I, I actually read about that when I was living in Seattle and I thought, no, they wouldn't do that. People would never, never put up with that in the Northeast. They wouldn't put up with clear cutting. 
And then I moved back here and lo and behold, that's what they were starting to do. Mm -hmm. And so at the time, I think it was really hard sell to people that unless you lived in Maine, you really didn't see clear cutting and you're like, what's the problem? I don't, I don't, I think you're, you're just blowing this out of proportion. So that was a really hard sell at that time. I think more people now are starting to wake up about this. And um, I, I see other people coming forward and saying, holy moly here. And I don't know if you heard of Bill Muma, Dr. Muma. He's, he's, um, he's been doing a lot of work with proforestation. And he's waking up a lot of the academia to, to start questioning this idea that logging forests is good for forests and logging forests is good for wildlife and nature and all this baloney they, they, they use to try and confuse the public. So he's been making a lot of progress, um, getting people to realize if you wanna get carbon out of the air, out of the atmosphere, you need trees. That's really the only, the only system we have that pulls it out. You can do what you want to try and reduce what goes in but if you actually want to pull some out, you, you need forests. So um, he's been doing a good job with that. So now it's a, it's an easier sell. Um, and the people that I thought would have gotten this from the beginning are starting to get it now. And um, and that's, that's very encouraging. At the same time, industry and the lobbyists and, and that whole side of things, you know, they've, they've really done a lot of groundwork and have, you know, got their, their little buzzwords in the politicians' ears and convincing them that we need to log forests. And um, if we don't clear cut, then the little bunnies are gonna disappear and all this nonsense. So it's, it's, it's almost like the two, the two factions are in a race. There's a, there's a little bit of a wake up for the people that are, you know, who would wanna protect forests, which is actually probably most of the people. You're not gonna find that many people in New England that are, are gonna sign on to this massive increase in commercial logging and clear cutting once they see it. But up until that point, um, they don't know and then these pl plans get put in place and, and then it's almost too late. So it's a bit of a waking up of those people versus all this groundwork that's been done by timber and biomass and hunting interests and, um, I don't know how it's going to play out. I, I would say, I mean, let's talk a little bit more about, um, I'm, I'm rambling here. I don't want to take up all the, the oxygen, so to speak, but um, in Vermont, they've got 40,000 acres of logging coming down. The, it's already in planned, already approved plans. 30,000 acres of clear cutting on G Green Mountain National Forest. Wow. They, they already started clear-cutting ridgelines, <laughs> like, and there's, you know, we're, help, we're helping the animals, like clear-cutting these ridges, and, um, and so Vermont is just slumbering away, and luckily a new group um, has come into, into, to aware, into existence and are, are trying to do something about this. They call, they're called uh, Standing Trees Vermont, huh. and, and they are... Um, this is, this is what they're working on is the public lands in Vermont. They want to stop logging on public lands in Vermont. So um, that's what's going on there. White Mountain National Forest, they're busy ramping up massive clear cutting projects there, thousands and thousands of acres of clear cuts. And then um, all, all supported and cheerled by the fake gangrene groups like um, Appalachian Mountain Club, who literally, I, I, I do like to share this so people know what's going on, but um, in this case, the Sierra Club of Vermont and Wilderness Society sued to stop these big clear-cutting projects in White Mountain National Forest in New Hampshire. Beautiful, beautiful national forest. And Appalachian Mountain Club and the New Hampshire Audubon Society joined with the timber industry and argued to the court to, to go ahead with these clear cutting projects. And now because of that, you, you see that the floodgates have been opened because now they feel like they've got these guys to, to run the greenwashing for them. Um, so anyway, that's, that's New Hampshire, Vermont, I just mentioned. They were gonna triple logging, they have plans to triple logging on Camel's Hump. Um, it's the iconic 
state park in, in Vermont, um, and triple logging there for, for what reason? None. And then New Jersey, here, here's the, there's a, a big push for logging in New Jersey, the state of 9 million people, the densest state in the country. And they're clear cutting their state forests, their conservation forests. And um, who is facilitating all of this? New Jersey Autobahn. <laughs> okay. and, yeah, and they're opposed by the Sierra Club and uh, Highlands Coalition and a couple other green groups that were doing what green groups are supposed to do. But New Jersey Autobahn is getting handsomely paid to uh, facilitate logging on New Jersey state forests. Wow. So um, it's it's sickening. Um, and this kind of plays into something else that people shouldn't be aware of. And that is the um, the infrastructure bill that's coming down the road. The Biden infrastructure bill is going to be loaded up with money for USDA. And USDA is Tom Vilsack and he's Mr. Monsanto and, um, and Mr. Logging and Mr. Clear Cutting and Mr. Biomass. And what we see coming down the line is tens, maybe, maybe hundreds of billions of dollars for the USDA to promote logging and biomass. And, and a lot of this clear cutting we're seeing in the East, in the Northeast is being funded by the USDA. And in states like even New Jersey, they're actually giving the wood away they're not even charging the loggers for the wood. And, but the Autobahn is getting like huge piles of money for creating the plans and facilitating the logging. So, um, I mean, just one, a couple of logging jobs on one place in New Jersey, they got, uh, I believe it was $600,000 to facilitate that logging. And so um, anyway, so it's going on across the Northeast and, and there's a, there's a question who's going to, how this is going to play out. Is, is all this groundwork by timber and biomass interests going to work out or are people going to wake up in time and say no? And uh, that's, that's happening today. We'll see what happens. Do you feel like many environmental groups are raising the alarm on this? Um, no, definitely not. I don't think so at all. Um, I think... Um, it's, it's a mix of, they're, they're all different. So you have, you have the worst of the worst, and that would be the, the nature conservancies of the world. Right. And, and they are just a corporately run greenwashing machine. Um, and they are pushing logging all over the place. Um, then you've got the Autobahns, which are just nearly as bad. They're like the little nature conservancy protégés. Just to give you an example, in, in Massachusetts, the um, last year, the same bill to stop logging on the state forest was submitted during COVID, so it was all a mess. But um, Mass Audubon and Nature Conservancy joined with the timber lobbyists to block the bill. They literally went to the legislature and said, don't pass this bill that protects these forests. And so, um, they are those types of groups are the problem mm -hmm. then there is middle of the road groups that are you know they may be big and slow to move they may maybe just out to lunch in the whole forest issue they may be um not wanting to touch it because they don't want to challenge these other groups and get in fights with them um but i do not see i do not see much on that horizon at all of them actually fighting for forests the way we used to see, you know, with the out in the spotted owl fights and things like that. Most of the groups were actually realizing this was a battle. I, I think a large amount of the groups are just out to lunch on this. They don't even know what's coming down the line. Um, we uh, actually had a conference call with NRGC today and they were, they were very sympathetic. So, um, you know, and it, it just seemed mostly like they had no clue that it was even going to happen. So, um, you know, that those are the ones, those are, you're disappointed that they have no clue and they don't have their finger on this, but, but at least you can talk with them. These groups like the Autobahns and Nature Conservancy, 
they're on the other side and 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 they're they are they are the problem really they're they are they are what these what the politicians lean on or who they lean on to say hey this is fine what's the problem they say nature conservancy says it's good what's the problem so and they're they're all different levels and then you know and then there's people that are really good um but usually they're smaller and don't have that much power to do much so Mm -hmm. well i'm personally not going to let that middle group off too easy the nrds of the world because there's no way that with their amount of funding and the amount of employees that they're not tangentially aware of this or let's just say if they aren't then that's malpractice yeah but that's like a doctor being like oh shit i didn't realize that your thyroid gland was all swollen out it's like well and you're a terrible doctor and should lose your license you know yeah I, I I agree 100%. And I was, I was just trying to be a little conciliatory for once in my life. But well, yeah, I, I totally fair. agree. That's fair. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, we want to bring people in the right direction. But here's the thing that is just the hypocrisy continues. So basically, if you want to speak about this, you can, we don't have to go into it too much. But when you and I were working on biomass issues in the Northeast, and other folks were, but it wasn't a lot of folks. Most of these environmental groups either outright opposed us, kind of ignored it or did a little bit of half-ass like, oh, okay. And some of them did some good stuff. You know, like I know is a Massachusetts Sierra Club. They weren't 100% on board with what we're doing, but they were at least kind of engaged. There were a few other organizations that here and there like VNRC. I didn't like a lot of their thing, they were, but they, at least they were paying attention to the issue. And they would well, you don't want to hear what VNRC is up to. <laughs> oh no! Well, no. I, well, we we can get into that, but okay. But my point is that at the time they weren't really powerhouses in terms of pushing back against this forest destruction, which we were seeing in form of biomass energy. The film Planet of the Humans came out, which was talking about things back then. All these groups are like, no, 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 no. We were opposed to it the whole time no you weren't and it's like (laughs) okay let's just pretend that's true well now surely you're on the right side but you've just proven that they're out to lunch still which to me a hundred percent proves that they really don't care about these issues very much you know it's like in congress the the timber biomass companies they got lobbyists there pounding on doors day after day after day give us money 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 to go chop and burn, chop and burn. And that's all they're hearing from. I don't think they're hearing from the other side. And so what are they gonna do? Of course they're gonna give them that, you know, they might give it to them anyway, cause that's probably paying them off. But but if you don't hear from the other side, you can be sure what they're gonna do. So- um, Is Bill McKibben weighing in on this? Cause I've been in some communication with him and he seems to be, oh, now I'm I'm opposing some biomass. And, and I believe that to a certain degree, he doesn't like a lot of biomass, but I also haven't seen him particularly active on this as he volunteered his number I, one environmentalist in the world status. <laughs> I have seen him write that that burning trees is, is not going to work. He's, he's, he's come around on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, in in terms of what's going on specifically in the northeastern well, forest, since he lives. Well, in- there you go. That now there you go. That's where the that's where the rubber hits the road. Is when are you going to, you know, I'm sure he wants everybody to shut their coal plants down, right? I have not heard him say shut down McNeil. McNeil is one and a half coal plants. McNeil Biomass in Burlington mm-hmm. is pumping out fifty percent more carbon per megawatt produced than a coal plant and um so i have not heard boo about closing it down maybe i'm wrong maybe he said something but i think it's um you know people don't want to take on their local sacred cows and um it's nothing but hypocrisy is all it is it's just pure hypocrisy Mm -hmm. um i was mentioning bnrc Mm -hmm. the the uh rygate biomass in vermont Mm -hmm. they just came up their subsidy is is expiring in a year or so so they're coming up for a 10-year extension on their subsidy um five million bucks a year to cut and burn trees to help the environment to help nature to help the carbon Mm -hmm. situation Uh and so um some of us went and gave some testimony there and actually uh, Annette Smith of Vermont's Vermonters for Clean Energy. She's 
she's amazing. She's 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 an environment. She's an actually an environmentalist. Environmentalist. She, you 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 see her, you hear her mouth move and you go, oh, okay, that's what you would expect from an environmentalist speaking up for the environment. So she went there and she she spoke very well and. And there's a chance that it will only be extended for two years, and they're already talking about uh, a closed-down plan for it. Um, I don't know what that's going to happen because that was just one committee. It's got to go through other committees now and stuff. But um, VNRC, they went there and they said, "Oh yeah, you got you got to renew this subsidy and help the loggers and all that stuff." So, yeah, like, I did not. I did not know. Oh yeah. And my listeners yep. can probably hear how agitated my voice is because these are some of the topics that trigger me most of the time, except in some of my rants. I'm usually pretty calm on the podcast, but yeah, this stuff pisses me off. And okay, I take back the pleasant things I said about VNRC because that's oh, it's just, just pretty, it's just sickening. It's that's like, egregious. That's pretty egregious. Yeah, yeah. That that's not. I mean, how can you spend one minute? with blah, blah, blah about climate, 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 and then say, yeah, keep subsidizing burning trees, which is which is the dumbest thing you can do. So for- we're not even talking about standing aside and letting something happen. We're talking right. about advocating for it. So these are actively, environmental groups advocating. Uh, yes, actively advocating for subs, not even just letting it happen, but right. making the public pay for it. So you can't get any worse. And, and it's just, you just want to, well, anyway. Well, I, well, on that topic, I do want to bring this a little bit into, thank you for that recap. That was great. And you're the person who has your fingers on the pulse of this more than a lot of people. And I wasn't aware of a lot of this stuff. Uh, so thank you for that. But since obviously we are both jaded individuals, um, and, I, and I'm just going to use the term bitter for me. I'm not going <laughs> to use that for you. But um how how do those of us who are just i don't think we're saints or anything like that we're just like are forests good yep should we do things that will make forests go away nope like pretty simple like fourth grade stuff pretty simple and then we see this stuff and you know maybe there's some stuff that's like oh well it's a little complicated but then we find no environmental group advocating for more biomass energy so how do we psychologically deal with situations like this without just becoming angry, or is that just all we can do? How do we deal with this? Hmm. <laughs> um, well, I think this is an issue that pick your, pick your uh, issue. For us, it's trees, mm-hmm. environment. Um, for anybody with any issue trying to change the machine from doing what it does, they've all got the same problem. Um, Whether it's bombing uh, other people or um, taking their stuff or, you know, how did our oil get under their sand? And um, whether it's um, clear cutting forests, whether it's, whether it's fundamentally, it comes back to this idea of do humans have the capacity to to get their appetites for infinite growth on a finite planet under control? And I would say not a chance in hell. They're just they are um, hell bent on <laughs> and uh, you know if we want hell, that's what we'll get. And um, the the two most important issues to me that never get talked about ever always symptoms the the two issues are infinite growth on a finite planet and infinite population growth on a finite planet and you put these two together and you're just going to constantly be you know fighting all these symptomatic battles so Mm -hmm. so how do you live with that um how do you live with that knowledge that you know things aren't going to change until they change they're probably not going to change voluntarily they're going to change because something happens that's big enough to scare the shit out of us Mm -hmm. you can hope it's big enough to scare the shit out of us and not be irreversible i don't know if that's possible Mm -hmm. but um but it, it really looks like 
that humans, they'll, you know, they'll do something here a little better. And one politician may make the degradation a little slower than the other one. And, but none of it is, is actually addressing the problems mm-hmm. in, a, you know, in a thoughtful, rational, logical way, saying this is all we've got. This is how much we're using. It doesn't take long to figure out what kind of mess we're making for ourselves. Hey, by the way, our our penises are smaller now. Uh, <laughs> did you see that story? The all the phthalates and all the other nasty chemicals are you know shrinking our organs and um, and you know that was kind of like actually I think Greta tweeted about that one. She's like, oh, now maybe people will pay attention <laughs> because. Of, but um, you know the the point is is I personally don't see humans working this out the easy way. I, I I see, you know, either some ongoing slow degradation, just like a frog pot in a pot of water, boiling water, or you know we do hit some tipping kind of point that you know things really start moving fast and and we get it, but it's too late to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows how long that will take. Um, but the question is, how do you live with that? And, and it's probably a very rational point of view. It's not, um, it's not doom and gloom, it's just logical. And so, so how do you live with that rational, miserable thought, still live your life and not make everyone else around you hate you because you talk about it? And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I, I think, I lost enough friends where I said, okay, I've done my share. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's a really, it's a tough question and you, you want to speak your truth, but you don't want to alienate everybody. And, um, you know, I think what you got to do is just, what I personally do is I, I just do what I can and then I step back. I, I get involved mm-hmm. and I start feeling overwhelmed and, and feel like, uh, this is just hopeless. I'm just making myself miserable. And then I step back for a little while and then I get the energy to do it again. So it, it just, it kind of comes in waves and you take a break and you kind of do what you can. And if you can let go of the results and just, take whatever pleasure you can in the process. Um, you know, if you look at the big picture constantly and you just say, this is pointless, it is. <laughs> in a way it is pointless. However, um, you do manage to save some things and um, you can take some real pleasure in that. And uh, and even, even just making it harder for them to wreck everything has value. Um, and, you know, in the end, you do sort of save some things. And I still have, I, I, I haven't figured out how to answer your question yet, but um, part of it I know is just do what you can, take a break, do what you can, take a break. Um, and then look at, you know, I used to get mad at everybody. I still get mad at everybody, but then, then I, um, you kind of let it go at some point. You go, you know what? Me being mad at them, if I'm just silently mad at everybody, it's like drinking poison and trying to hurt somebody else with it. So um, at some at some point, you got. I think you just go to this place of, well, I'll do what I can. Humanity's going to do what it does, and in the meantime, I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to enjoy what's still there, what's out there. There's still a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm going to enjoy them. I'll, I'll do my share. I can't do it all. I, if I, as soon as I start feeling like I have to control it all, then I get miserable. Right. Um, so, and then when I see people on a personal basis who don't think the way I wish they do, I, I, you know, everybody's different and you, and you, some people are open to listening to ideas. Others are not. Some people you can connect with on different things, on different levels that, you know, sometimes I find um, the Trumpies and, you know, like my cousins are Trumpies and they're actually, you know, they shouldn't be allowed to vote, 
but they're actually really nice people. And they, you know, when I go there, they treat me like a human being. They're really warm and friendly and, um, and kind to me. And they, they understand the importance of human connection and this and that. And I can't agree with them on anything. If we talk about any policies or anything, they were on different planets, right. but I can, I can make a human connection with them because they're available for that. A lot of the people that um, have maybe policies I agree with that I, you know, I'm glad they vote. I'm glad they participate. I'm glad they have their ideas, but they don't seem to have the time for you. It seems to me like the sort of the liberal side of things is busy. I don't know what they're doing exactly, but they don't seem to put as much value on camaraderie as you might get with, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm walking into strange uh, nebulous territory there, but, but I often find, you know, I live in Northampton, Massachusetts, and it's, you know, it's all this highfalutin identity stuff. And, you know, there's some validity to it too, but it also, it also seems very narcissistic sometimes and look how great I am and virtue signaling and all that stuff. And, and sometimes I think that's what the left really misses, like a solidarity with each other kind of, because none of this stuff, none of the activism can go on long-term unless you're feeling supported by people around you. And that, that I feel like is what activists really miss. And they're afraid to even say it. We're such a hyper individualistic culture. So, um, you know, everybody's off busy showing how, what, what they did that's so great or, or this and that, or I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And missing the point that you also have to, you don't want to just have these meetings with people about policies and stuff. You also want to have meetings with them socializing and connecting with them because you can do three times more than you can when you feel supported by other people than when you're, when you're on your, when you're on your own with these issues. And um, I, I think that's a, I think that's maybe the, maybe the biggest failure of the, the left, whatever you want to call that is, is this idea of camaraderie. I don't know if the right's really any better, but somehow I have this idea in my head that if I go to a Trumpy um, march, I'm going to turn to the other person next to me and they're going to be like, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to go, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to do that. But if I did go, yeah, yeah, they'd go, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that if I do that at, at some of the, I don't know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm, I'm on firm ground here, but, um, but I am on firm ground when I say that, that activists do need to, to, um, to support each other more than just, uh, you know, these online meetings about policies and, and things. They need, they need to understand that humans need other people and they need people to support them and then they can do so much more than they can otherwise. So, um, that I don't know if that really answers your question, and it probably doesn't. <laughs> no, it, it actually does, though. And I think there's a lot of wisdom there. And I agree with the vast majority of that I do. I have seen a lot of that same stuff in terms of, yeah, if you don't fit exactly into the, the paradigm, they're not as interested. So you could be the lifelong environmentalist, and then you you actually start showing ironically some individualism in your thinking. So the, a lot of these folks are collective in their ideology. So you have your brainwash, you have to have the exact lockstep way of thinking, but then they're very uh, individualistic in terms of like, well, I want to do my thing and I'm very selfish. So it's this weird combination of that. Whereas some of the folks on the right, they have these traditional values. And so it's kind of like a family. And if they consider you family, you're in, if, if they don't, then you're definitely out. Right, so right. I've seen a mix of all of that. I think there's a lot of validity to that. And what's more, I think, yeah, you're somebody to listen to on this because you have been sustaining your activism for, I don't know how long, but like two decades or so. No, no, like 12 years. Well, a little, maybe a little more than that. Because, 13 years, 2008. So yeah. Okay. Cause you had just started doing stuff around the biomass issue. That was kind of what gets you started yeah off. yeah actually the end of 2007 that's that's when 
we moved here beginning of 2007, so end of 2007. So I guess it's like 14 years, 13 and a half years. Um, but, you know, but there's been wow. periods where I didn't do a lot. So, right. But yeah. that's the thing, though. You've you've maintained it and you found a way to maintain it. Like you said, you pull back and then you engage again. I was involved very, very heavily nonstop. And then basically I stopped doing activism entirely. And then yeah. I was doing environmental journalism. And then I, I realized the corruption in that. And so I've literally just done this podcast and that's about it. And I'm writing some stuff. So there's something to be said for your way of doing it because you you've been in it for the long haul, whereas I've sort of been like, all right, enough of this crap. So I, I would, I would listen to Chris probably over me when it comes to, to how to do this stuff. It, but for me, it's also, so you brought up, yes, the greater existential existential crisis of the earth ecocide unraveling and all that stuff. And I think about that a lot. And that's really important for me, though. The most distressing thing is that the entities that claim to care about this are as corrupted, if not more so than the ones who are actively destroying it. And that's the stuff that kills me. And yeah, that's the stuff it's... that I, I'm like, I don't know it. Not like that. I'm so pure or anything like that. I find over the years, oh, I was wrong about this, wrong about this. Um, but you know, I'm constantly evolving my view on things, but it's like, I don't feel like I can participate anymore. It's like too dirty. It's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to clean up the mafia. It's like, yeah, good, <laughs> good luck with that. Like, no, no, if enough, you know, elbow grease and it's like, really, is that how you think? So I'm not saying people shouldn't engage in this stuff. I just, it might just be that I am just too resentful to continue with a lot of stuff, but uh, so how do you how do you make sense of the fact that we have Vermont Natural Resources Council advocating for the cutting and burning of trees for biomass energy? How, how do you even fit that into your world? On top of that, they, they advocate for making the public subsidize burn, cutting and it. burning trees. Pay for it. So and yeah. we're not just picking on them. We're just using them as a specific example because we could choose probably hundreds of thousands of organizations. So, But how do you yeah. process that even? Um, let's see. I, I think... It used to drive me absolutely insane. It still drives me insane, maybe not absolutely insane. Every once in a while when I get a chance, I, I get my digs in and I, I made up little charts or little pages of little reports that list off all the bullshit they do and I send them out anytime I get a chance. <laughs> um, and I take some pleasure in that. Um, maybe it's sort of a Carlin way of looking at the, George Carlin way of looking at the world First of all, keep in mind, I just do this on the side, volunteer. So sure. it, it's not, I don't, I don't, there's no money involved for me at all. So I don't feel at all guilty just stepping away from it whenever I want to. Right. Um, and, and I resent that a lot too, though, because I'll say, shit, I'm wasting my evening and weekend doing this. <laughs> and these assholes making $600,000 a year doing the, the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. If you made that much money and you're actually doing the right thing, I'd probably shut up. I still think it's too much, but they're yeah. not, they're getting head of nature conservancy makes over 900 grand a year, hmm. uh, you know, doing the wrong thing. And head of national Audubon makes almost 700 grand a year. And it's just like, what the hell? Um, so anyway, um, I think it's a little bit of a Carlin attitude. It's just like, it's a spectacle and you can't control it all and, and you just you, you almost have to just laugh at it um it's like you can't you can't change it so it, it kind of comes down to that thing what can you change know what you can and when you can't let it go if you can't and um it, it's just a little bit of it's a it is a slippery slope because you can easily you can easily justify or rationalize, well, hell with it, I'm not going to do anything. I'll just become as big of an idiot as everybody else mm -hmm. and not do anything. And, and that's probably not a real danger for somebody that really cares about these things. You'll always speak up, but you can always do more and you can always do less. It's always, you're always making that decision. But ultimately, if you burn yourself out, you're no good to anybody. You're no good to yourself. You're no good to the environment. And um, 
you kind of got to walk that middle path of doing what you can and then letting it go and 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 uh and then from there step back and look at human folly for what it is mm. as tragic as it as it will be i mean it you, you know you see everybody in panic over um how many people died from covid two two million i mean that's, yeah that's the average the earth puts on 100 million people a year so all that did was reduce the normal increase in population by two percent so um it, it was nothing it was a tiny tiny little blip not saying it's good if you know somebody who's getting it or you get it you don't want it but wait until we get a real, you know, a real pandemic with no vaccines and something that really knocks you for a loop. Like, you know, 0.3% of the people died in this die if you get COVID these days, 0.3%. During the plague, it was like two thirds, one out of three would live uh, the bubonic plague. So the point is, is that something will eventually give and it's not gonna be as soft as this is. This is a, this is a problem. The lockdowns are annoying. The, the old people dying is, is sad, um, but it's, it's not a big deal actually in the, in the grand scope of what happens when you don't live within sort of ecological boundaries. And in this case, it's a, it's a pandemic, it's a virus, but you know, if it starts being farms going up and or drying out so people can't eat or um, whatever it does where people start becoming um, either climate or biodiversity refugees or so forth where millions of people right are displaced or or killed from our policies of today even if you're talking simply about you know PFAS and everything and and phthalates making our, our, our little, little John's not working. And, um, you know, we're, we're just, it's like one after another of these different guillotines we have waiting for us. And this little pandemic, as annoying as it is, is probably a very small <laughs> in comparison to what could potentially happen. And, um, that's when people wake up, I guess. They, they don't seem to wake up. Humans generally kick the can down the road, I think. And some, some of us, maybe, maybe from our histories, we learn that you know, how, how things are done actually matters. What you say and do matters. Because maybe we paid a price somewhere along the line and we realize that um, you know, what we think and do matters. But most people, I think, generally just go along as long as they're okay fine don't worry about it um and you know getting back to the question of what are we going to do about it i i don't know I, I don't think that the humans are going to voluntarily change their course they're, they're so committed to this infinite growth economic system and uh and don't want to touch the population issue either so so how do you live with that? Again, coming back to that is how do you live with that? And I guess you gotta become a little, a little crazy. <laughs> you almost, you almost have to just, you know, um, I like the Carlin idea of looking at it as all as a spectacle, just stepping back and kind of removing yourself and not, cause you do ultimately, if, if you, if you drive yourself into the gutter that you're not helping anybody. So Maybe it's as, as boring as just simply you need to have balance and only do what you can and then step back. Um, and and that, that depends for some people actually, some people actually probably thrive on, on this kind of battle. They don't, they don't see the big picture and they don't worry about the big picture. They actually just love being in the fight and, and get energized from it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if you do see the big picture and you kind of feel like it's futile, that's a different perspective. So I think that's where we are. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with a lot of that. Um, let's see, well, I would say that, yeah, COVID is small potatoes for what could happen in the unravelings that are likely to happen in the future, climate refugee, a, another pandemic. I would say, though, that one quarter of the deaths in the world are in the U.S., and that's pretty unacceptable. So 
the fact so clearly it was uh I, I'm more concerned about the response in terms of COVID than necessarily what the virus is itself. And I think if that's indi any indication about how America deals with uh, a, a situation like that, I, I think it does not bode well for climate change. It does not bode well for a pandemic that, like you said, actually kills more people than, I mean, it's, we're approaching 600,000, that's, that's a lot, but uh, yeah, like if we had some sort of yeah anything approaching a, a black death, it would be COVID would be like a, a head cold in comparison, no question. But I, I in my mind, it's like I think there are a few things that that can happen, and I'm not sure they will. One of the things we're doing a little bit behind the scenes, and who knows if anything will come to it, is trying to knit together these disparate but really good efforts that are happening, the genuine environmentalism that's happening, but it's sort of happening in dribs and drabs and there's no real network together for that. So no one really knows, not, I don't wanna say nobody, but folks who are doing one thing over here aren't aware of what folks are doing over there. And I think that there can be a conscious effort to bring that together potentially while all those entities continue to do exactly what they're doing. I'm dabbing with that as a potentiality, we'll see. I do think that there is a possibility of, it's basically a form of human evolution, psychological evolution. So those who care about the natural world are at a different state of consciousness than those who don't. And there are various stages, however you wanna look at that. So I think, yes, until more people get to that stage, it doesn't mean that it's not gonna, we're not gonna get very far. And then of course, just caring about stuff is not enough we've got to have the strategy to be able to make these things happen. But I do think ultimately you're right. It's the Buddhist approach is the way to do it. I mean, the Carlin stuff, that's basically a kind of Buddhism. You, you realize a lot of this is an illusion. It's kind of like we're watching a game or a spectacle. We're playing a game. Can you play the game? Well, you, you try, right? If you're playing foosball, like you try, but if you lose at foosball, you really shouldn't be crying because it's foosball, right? So it's, I don't want to downplay the death of the earth or anything like that, but yeah, there might be, it might come to a thing where it's just, there's only so much we can really do. And certainly as individuals, all we can do is put a little drop in the bucket. So don't burn out because right, staying engaged is the key over the long term. And I think you have the right idea on that. Um, yeah, I mean, you just made me remi reminded me why I even brought the pandemic up in the first place was um, that it, it is easy to go to that place of well, you know, the planet, the planet will be fine. We're fucked, not the planet. The planet will shake us off like a bunch of fleas and rebuild one every way or another. And um, but my my point in the bringing up the pandemic was. Because it's it's easy to, to 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 just go to that place like well yeah we're but um, and the amount of pain though to when when that comes along I I think it's going to be just unbelievable and that was the whole point of bringing up the pandemic was you know here we had six hundred thousand people die this is this is like what 0.2 percent of the population of the U S um, it's very very small. And yet, you know, people are having terrible times psychologically and all kinds of issues for, for good reason. But it's like easy to to go and to, I'm not not criticizing what you're saying at all. I'm just saying that to get from here to wherever we're going is going to it's probably going to be very, very ugly. It's it's it, you know, it's it's going to be very painful and it's going to make this kind this pandemic look like a cakewalk mm. compared compared to some of these things that there is no end of the tunnel there is no vaccine there there is no answer there's no solution we have you know we've made our bed and now we're going to sleep in it and um <clears throat> i'm afraid that it you know when people catch on to the fact that you we all need the earth to live. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to breathe the air and drink the water and eat the food, which sounds like common sense. But until people start getting that in, in a real sense, 
it, it just seems like we're barreling into a brick wall. And um, so that, that's the hard part to live with. And yeah. Uh, and I, I don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> that that's, that's, it's, it's one of the hardest, <laughs> it's one of the hardest questions that there is. And I think all yeah. we could do is kind of kick it around and try to make sense of things. But yeah, I, I, I really appreciate your thoughts on this. And I know you have thought a lot about this and you're just somebody who's been in this for a while and really has been on the, my opinion, on the right side of all these environmental issues. And you don't really get rewarded for it. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah. but is that, but, the, but should we even expect awards? I don't mean awards, but like rewards for this. Should that even be on our mind at all? Um, I think everybody likes recognition for trying to do the, for doing whatever they think is needs to be done. Like everybody wants recognition to some, to some degree or another. Sure. Um, and you know, typically in our culture, the recognition is money and that's how we show, see, you do good. You got all this money. Um, I, Luckily for, for me, I, I once bought a house on Bainbridge Island out in Seattle, you know, and like people would say, wow, you're so lucky. I used to take the ferry to work and, and I realized it didn't, it didn't make me happy. That wasn't what made me happy. I, what made me happy was being around people that I connected with. Mm -hmm. And, and I found like, you know, sticking myself in this house on an island which is the dream of many people, I guess, in some ways, um, it made me miserable because I, I felt disconnected from people. And so I guess that comes back to that original point that if, if you have a group of people that you're working with and, and they recognize your efforts, that, that's important. I mean, you don't want to become a, an attention hog for what you do. You want to, you want to do it for good reasons, but I want to kid our kid, kid myself like I, I appreciate when somebody notices you do something decent um it's nice it helps um but ultimately it's just so the whole money side of things is so poisonous mm -hmm. that um it's i think it's it's been easier just because i don't make any money doing this it's actually easier i mm. you know i work my regular job to pay for socks and underwear so and uh hope that doing doing this volunteers doesn't undo what what i'm doing or doing my regular job doesn't undo what i do when i'm volunteering and, and so forth but you know in the end you got to feel good with yourself and hope you can connect with other people I, th I think those are really the things that make make life peaceful and meaningful is to feel connected to people and feel okay with yourself with your decisions you've made and so um you know take you, you either get there or you don't and and you you may get there and not even believe it when you do get there you might start saying well this doesn't make me happy either but you know the interesting thing is sometimes the biggest billionaires you can actually have this conversation with because mm -hmm. they they get it all not not like bozos but um some of them who, who become billionaires and actually get a sense of consciousness because they got it all and they realized that, that that's not what they needed. So um, anyway, ramble, ramble, ramble. But um, I, I, I do think you kind of do it for yourself and, and for what you believe in and hope for the best and, and don't wear yourself out. And, and the rest of the time, enjoy your life as much as you can enjoy what's there. Cause there's a lot of beautiful stuff out there. It's great, great to hang out with friends and have a beer, have a guitar and a beer and that stuff, you know, music and nature. Those are two things that are, that make life worth living and music and nature and connection with other people's friendships and family. If you can find some that you like, then awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're totally right. I think a lot of, activists don't find that balance and that connection and because uh, a lot of activists you know including myself had been really angry people and so then that that kind of 
alienates yourself from others, sometimes even voluntarily, like, oh, they're not as pure as me, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, at the end of the day, where does that really get you? It doesn't mean that you have to become best friends with a timber baron or anything like that. But most people are not freaking, you know, the executives of timber companies. So you don't really have to worry about that. And Right. You, you put me in front of a timber executive and I'm not going to be a nice person. So right. and that's, and that's, <laughs> I talk a big game. And that's totally fair. But most people are, are not in that category. And so I think not only is it better for one's life to be able to find that balance, it's probably better for your activism, which means it's better for the health of the planet. So it's like, how can drinking a beer and playing guitar help the forest? Well, in a sense, it can, right? Well, it's better than going out and doing something. I mean, what's more fun than doing that? You could go shopping. But I would much rather sit there and have a beer and sit around a fire with a guitar and then go shopping. And so you're not really suffering. And it's always presented as though you're suffering by, mm -hmm. by doing this. And to me, it's the opposite. We live in a small house, so we don't have to clean it. <laughs> it's, sure. Um, it's, it, we, we've all been sold this lie about consumerism as the meaning of life. And it's a really pernicious poison poison pill and um people are suffering big time there, there's a lot of lonely people and because everybody's off you know consuming and acquiring and competing and you know that's not it doesn't work it doesn't work it's an endless rat trap it's a mm -hmm. spinning wheel for a rat and you know as soon as we wake up and realize that that is a lie um, we're so conditioned now. I don't know if it can happen, but um, mm -hmm. it, it's a big, big, ugly lie. And they've been pushing our hot, our buttons for, I don't know, Edward Bernays started all the propaganda stuff probably 80, 90 years ago, convincing people to buy stuff they didn't need. It used to be people just bought stuff that they needed. And then they decided, well, we have to convince them. We have to give them wants, new wants, new desires. They don't need these things. They just... We have to convince them they want this. Yeah. And so, so that's when they started changing, you know, buy this laundry soap, it'll make your clothes clean into buy this laundry soap and you'll have lots of uh, beautiful women around you and people and sun shining and beach time and beach volleyballs and everything will be heaven if you buy it. They started moving from needs to this is what will make you happy. And it doesn't. And it just, it just, it leads to, well, what's the next thing or the next thing, the next thing. Again? And uh, it's a tragic lie because you see so many people with so much stuff that are so unhappy and you just want to say, Hey man, you're looking for love in the wrong place. And, um, but you can't because we're, we're so conditioned just this endless screens and messages all day long telling us the meaning of life is this buying this and buying that and having this and, and having this many likes and all that stuff and uh it's it's not working and it's it's becoming more obvious but it's mm -hmm. it's it's like an addiction that we can't break so um yeah i, I think i think that's all true yeah i blah 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 blah, blah me 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 <laughs> no but that's i mean that's what that's what i wanted to get to in this podcast i wanted to talk about what it is to be an activist how it's possible to continue to be an activist and realizing being a happier person or being a more balanced, better balanced, well-adjusted person can actually not just make your life better. I mean, that's the real secret to having a better life, but that can actually tie into the work that you're doing and making yourself miserable all the time. I don't know if that necessarily makes for a great activist. It's certainly not over the long term. I see a lot of people phase in and then phase out really quickly because they burn themselves out. So I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you're saying. At the same time, I think it's important to realize there are people that they they put themselves into it all day, every day. Yeah. And they some of them burn out, but some of them have the constitution for it. Mm -hmm. And we're all better off that they do it. We're all, you know, the fact that they do it is helping all of us. For sure. Um, but 
even even them is if if it's starting to kill them and they can't handle it, it's burning them out. Then it's they've gone too far. So I, we probably all have different levels of what we can do and we're willing to do. Um, anywhere, you know, you you probably can't do it all the time, 100% of the time. Zero percent isn't really dragging your weight. So somewhere in there is what you can do and still be a functional person, a happy enough person. And, and you may figure that out as of time. And sometimes it might be more than others and depends on who's around you and what you're working on and all that stuff. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's just the old balance is real in that. Yeah. Finding your balance. And some people do get a lot of passion out of working on stuff all day long. And frankly, probably a lot of miserable people did make the things that we take for granted these days. You know, they pushed for certain issues and that's fine. And that's, and that's, that's fine if that's who you are. But I think what's also important is creating a model for what your average individual can do. So if it's like the only way to be an activist is to be angry, to be doing this all the time, living in poverty and everyone hates you because you're a dick. It's like, no one wants, (laughs) no one wants to do that, you know? So create what is that model and i i think that you you do you are a role model in that way because you have been able to continue this you're working a real job like a normal person so not everyone is going to be in a position where they just stop work or whatever like that but you keep going with this and you hold the hard line and you have for many many years so i definitely really appreciate that about you and and i'm really glad that you could come on the podcast to talk about it well, I appreciate I appreciate you bringing this stuff up, and I, I I'm glad it's nice to hear um, hear you you know getting under the issues that are behind the issues, and um, mm-hmm. you know all day long we hear this very simplistic media world around us, and it's 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 unbearably banal, I guess is the word, or just it's just it's it's really poison in a way that the media landscape and um you know it's 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 actually these little podcasts that keep the humanity in it so thank you for doing that sure well it's definitely been a good experiment the green root podcast and uh i'm glad we got this episode out there so folks who want to find out what chris is doing you can go to the massachusetts forest watch website at maforests.org that will also be in the description you can just click on that to get to that link and yeah that's forest with forest with an s maforests.org maforests.org he's got some beautiful pictures up there and some horrific pictures so before and after photos and a bunch of that stuff and chris is definitely a great source of what's going on in the northeast as you've heard so Thanks again, Chris. And yeah, best, best wishes. And we'll certainly be in touch. Sounds good. Thanks, Josh.